0: it seems to me, is there a baby boom going on around here? Seems like I'm seeing more and more babies. And I'm like, uh, they're all over the place. And for those of us who had, you know, babies years ago and they've grown up now, does this happen to you that when you see a young parent or you see a little kid, does it take you back to when you were a young parent? Yeah, I know, it's crazy. And so that's been happening to me as I'm seeing all these babies and all these little kids. I'm I just saw a couple today, and it took me back to when I, especially our firstborn, and I was thinking about. <laughs> I remember taking our first kid home from the hospital, and feeling this fear of, what the heck? I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I I, I remember feeling so overwhelmed, like what if I screw this up? And you know, there's there's no manual. They, how irresponsible of a hospital to let young parents take a child home and not give a manual, no instructions, not even a quick start guide. I mean, you're just, someone saying amen, yeah. And so you're just overwhelmed, you know, I don't want to kill this kid. Yeah, at least not yet. And so... Um, so I, didn't, I don't know if anybody else felt this kind of feeling of overwhelming. And, you know, and back in those days, we didn't have Google. So there's, you know, there's no looking up. And you parents have no idea how good you have it. You know, you can just go to Google whenever you want. But we did have this person living in our home that was really helpful. Um, her name was Andrea, <laughs> not Alexa, Andrea, my wife. And she, she always knew what to do. And so I was just like, okay, I'm just going to be the student and learn from her. But it still didn't take away my feelings of feeling overwhelmed. And, and I hope I don't screw this up. And I don't know what to do. You know, the kid's starting to cry. Is there an off button when they cry like that? And it seems like they're crying differently today than they did last week. And I, I just, ah, it was, just, it was overwhelming for me. And I was thinking about that as I was reading the, the scripture for this week that I'm going to preach on in a minute. Because um, today, as we're working our way through the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, we come to day 40 in the life of Jesus. Maybe you never heard that phrase before. Uh, Luke, the writer, tells us more about the birth of Jesus than anybody else and more about the, the early childhood of Jesus. So today, if you'll turn to Luke chapter 2, uh, we launched this series last week called Discipling the Next Generation, and uh, today, we're going to look at verse 22 from Luke 2. And last week, we read one verse. Today, I'm going to read a whole bunch. I think like 18 verses, 17, 18 verses. So when you find Luke 2, 22, would you stand with me, and I'll find it as well. And, um, you know, get your, get your uh, worship folder out, your sermon outline, and look at that outline real quickly. I'm only going to preach half of that today, okay? so um, don't freak out when it feels like whoa, we're never going to get through this. I know I know so just get ready. so Luke chapter two, how do we know it's the fortieth day of Jesus's life the first line when the time came for the purification rights required by the law of Moses we'll just pause right there. the law of Moses. Um, commanded that when a child is 40 days old, you bring them to the temple, you bring them to the tabernacle to do these purification rites. And so Joseph and Mary are following the law to the team. By the way, every time you see the word law, I'm going to highlight it. And especially if you're reading on the screen, I actually prefer you to have your Bible. And a lot of you do. That's cool. But I'm going to highlight it and pay attention every time you see or hear the word the law. (laughs) And don't think policemen, you know, I'll I'll explain that later. So the time came, day 40, for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as is written in the law of the Lord. (laughs) Every firstborn male is to be consecrated. That's the idea of dedicating, dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. And <laughs> what is that sacrifice? It is a pair of doves or two pigeons. Let me stop there. Uh, the law actually said to sacrifice an animal unless you're poor. And if you're poor, you can sacrifice this two uh, pair of doves and two pigeons. So that's what they did. Clearly, Joseph and Mary don't have any money. Um, so... The, it goes on. Now there was a man, I'm in verse 25 now. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. What a way to explain him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. not that a cool phrase? Would anybody ever say that about you? The Holy Spirit was upon her. The Holy Spirit was upon him. But it gets better. Notice the next phrase. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now moved by the Spirit. And just in the space of a couple of words, uh, sentences, we get this Holy Spirit on this Simeon guy. It's like, wow. So now he's being led by the Spirit, moved by the Spirit, prompted by the Spirit. He goes into the temple courts. And when the parents that's Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law. There we go again. The custom of the law required, Simeon took Jesus in his arms. So literally, he takes him from Mary or maybe Joseph and he's holding Jesus. So picture this as he's holding Jesus, he blesses God, he praises God and then blesses the child and prays sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I'm an old man, let me die now. Because I have, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared. So he's holding Jesus and says, after all this stuff about the law, the law, the law, he's holding up Jesus and has, this is salvation. So powerful. There's a juxtaposition between the law, which cannot save you, and Jesus. He's holding Jesus The Savior, he literally is saying that in this child is salvation. Isn't that cool? The law can't save you. It's important, but Jesus, whoo, he can. I'm getting excited already. Um, See here, um, where did I I stop here? Oh, I've seen your salvation. I've seen baby Jesus, in which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light, Jesus is the light of the world, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. By the way, that's most of us, non-Jews or Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. <laughs> then Simeon blessed them. So he's already blessed God, he's blessed Jesus. Now he's blessing them. And then after that blessing, it gets bad. This is the first time in the story of Jesus that things don't look good. Simeon, holding Jesus, says to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. This child will be a sign that will be spoken against. He's talking about the the way Jesus will be rejected and eventually crucified. So that the hearts, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul. Mary. Mary, it's going to be hard to parent. Parenting will be painful for you. Now, pause. Pause right there because something is about to happen just this second. But first, Luke wants to introduce this person. There was also a prophet, Anna, prophetess, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. So now unpause, coming up to them at that very moment while Simeon has Jesus in his hands and he's talking to Mary and blessing her and warning her that Anna begins to give thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. End of story. But before you sit down now, Luke gives us a summary phrase when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law. There it is, more time. They returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Okay, you may be seated. I know I had you stand up for a long time. Um, It doesn't mean it's nap time now, because just hold on. So I, I kept asking you to pay attention to the law, the times about the law. It actually was in there five times. Our first verse that we looked today, 22, and our last verse, have the same phrase, required by the law. What's going on here? We just said that the law can't save us. Why is Luke spending so much time talking about the law? Well, two things. I'll show one now and one later. The first thing is what, what I think is that Luke is doing is he's painting a picture of how Joseph and Mary, handpicked by God to raise Jesus, Luke is showing us that Joseph and Mary were diligent about keeping God's commands. This is not in your notes, but you might wanna write it down. Jesus' parents were committed, diligent, devoted to obeying God's commands as they raised Jesus. From the very first days, they're, to, they're clued in. I wanna do what God says. I, I know in the Old Testament, it says to do this at age, at day seven. Do this at day 40. And so they're, they're following all of the commands that God gave in the Old Testament to the T, showing that they care a lot about what God says and they wanna raise Jesus based upon the plan that God laid out in the Old Testament for children and for, for parents and children. So what you can write down is what we talked about last week. In other words, Joseph and Mary realized that the primary task of parenting is to nurture God-centered children. I won't preach last week's sermon. but We made a big deal about that. And that's why God gives this plan that we're going to talk about today. And that plan is ex- explained throughout the Old Testament. And Joseph and Mary are like, we're, we get it. We know that the primary task is not to raise Wealthy kids, healthy kids, well-adjusted kids, successful kids, um, cool kids. I mean, I want all these things, but that can't be the primary task. The primary task is to recognize this child is a gift from God. He's been given to us and we're to raise this child in a way that he understands there's a God who is above everything, and he loves you, he made you. Center your life around him. Joseph and Mary realized that that's the role of parenting, which, as we said last week, is also the role of discipling. That's why this sermon is about parenting and discipling. As we said last week, the primary role of discipling, task of discipling is to help someone become like Christ, but Jesus was the one who modeled God-centered life Better than anyone else. So parenting, discipleship are all about this God-centered life. So throughout this series, we're going to keep focusing in on a God-centered life. How do we live a God-centered life? How do we help our children? Because if we don't help our children from a young age discover who God is and to, to help them center their lives around, there's a good chance they never will. And when I say that, I don't mean rhetorically. Statistically, there's a good chance they never will. That's why parenting is so important. And as we said last week, parenting is discipleship. God gave you your kids so you would disciple them. You would train them to become God-centered people. So parenting is discipleship. And so you know, in the gospel of Luke, I can't wait to, to get into all the stuff where Luke talks about discipleship, you know, which is following Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to become like Jesus. And it can almost look like, hurry up, Luke, be done with the little kid stuff. No, not A whole lot of people don't really care about Jesus being purif- having purification at, at day 40, Let's get to the discipleship stuff, following Jesus, to learn from Jesus. But Luke goes, wait, time out. I want you to see something about the parents of Jesus, that they, are, they get discipling, and they get that the next generation is their responsibility. So last week, we talked about how Jesus said to his disciples, you know, be a, follow me, be a disciple. Now, go make disciples who will make disciples, dot, dot, dot. It goes from one generation to the next generation. Because Jesus, when he gave the Great Commission, realized that if his disciples don't catch the vision of passing it on to the next generation, then Christianity goes extinct. Let that sink in. If Jesus' disciples didn't catch the vision of passing on to the next generation, following Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to become like Jesus. Christianity dies. And that's true for every generation. You could write this down. This is a crazy thing to think about. Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. Let that sink in for a second. If a generation grows up that says, I don't think it's that important to pass on to my children God-centered lives. I, you know, I'll parent my children, but I'm not going to disciple them. That's, you know, let, let Jim, let the, let the staff do the discipling. Or if a group of disciples, if a church decides, you know what? We prefer a church that just says nice things, gives us some nice things to think about, good music, um, you know, makes me feel good. But I don't want to have the responsibility of having to disciple that's the church's staff's job, and if that attitude sinks into a church, just like that attitude sinks into a group of parents, then Christianity doesn't get passed on, and if that happens too much, then it goes extinct. Some of you are like oh, Jim. Yeah, you're you know you're a preacher. You're exaggerating. Just let me take a let me take an, a pause for an illustration here. Um. You heard earlier in the service or you saw in your bulletin that I'm leading a trip to Greece this September, a discipleship trip, and we're going to follow Paul and around the Mediterranean world. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And we're going to stop at all of these cities in the book of Acts and that you see in your Bible, Ephesus, Philippi, Corinth, Thessalonica, all these cities that Paul went to, the biggest, the famous, most famous cities in the time, and he preached the gospel, won people to Christ, discipled them developed elders, taught there, and then went on to the next place. And Paul birthed and built the greatest churches in the first 1,000 years. I mean, first, first 400 years. Incredible. But When I take you there this September, what you will see is that all of those churches are extinct. Paul planted them. He taught, he pastored, he discipled. I mean, the greatest missionary ever. Today, there are a bunch of pile of rocks. Here's Philippi. That's ancient Philippi. The city of Philippi doesn't exist. The church at Philippi doesn't exist. It's extinct. Or how about Ephesus? It was an incredibly significant, influential city in the Greek or Roman world it's nothing but a pile of rocks now. Now they've piled the rocks on top of the rocks to try to give you a picture of what it looked like 2,000 years ago, but it's, it's dead. It's a ghost town. There is no city of Ephesus. There is no church of Ephesus. These letters that we talk about that are so important, it's haunting to go to these places and see nothing but ghost towns. What happened? Well, persecution, people not taking discipleship seriously, people not passing it on to their children. One generation led to another and the church went extinct. Today, like for instance, Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. If you know your geography, modern day Turkey, there are hardly any Christians. There There are a few, hardly any religious practicing people, but followers of Jesus, you can't find them in a, used to be called Asia Minor, in a country that was loaded, saturated with Christians on fire for Jesus, having been led to Christ by the apostle Paul, discipled, in you know, all that. Now it's, it's extinct. But, so, you know, go, go with me, if you will, you know, this September, sign up. It's gonna, gonna be an incredible, I'm gonna teach at all these cities, but, but I just wanted you to see that illustration. But I want you to understand that's not just them all the way back to the beginning of the nation of Israel, God had warned the people of Israel, if you forget what I've taught, if you don't pass it on to the next generation, chaos, death, destruction will happen. I'll show you an example from Judges chapter 2 says, after that generation, that generation is the generation of Joshua. Remember Joshua? Moses led Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, discipled Joshua, mentor disciple, handed the baton to him and said, you're in charge now. Joshua led them into the, gener- into the promised land, and then he died and his generation with him. After Joshua's generation died, another generation grew up this is so sad to read, I can hardly read it. Who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel, they abandoned the Lord. Sounds like the year 300, 400 in Greece. Sounds like the year 500 in Israel was Babylon. Sounds like 2023, United States of America. History is full of people who got so comfortable and so settled in their religious patterns, they stopped following Jesus. They just came to church, and they only came when they felt like it. But the, the, the passion for God died out. Whether it was comfort, whether it was persecution, whether it was just going through the motions or whether it was something else. History is loaded with examples of people forgetting God, even though God warns people again and again and again. I showed you the New Testament. I showed you Judges. Let me go back before that to Deuteronomy. Moses says, God says to Moses, Be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen. What's that? God delivering Israel, God giving them the commands, God rescuing them, feeding them. I mean, God doing miracle after miracle. Don't forget what God's done or don't let these things fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children. Those words, just like the pictures I showed you, are haunting Because I look around the United States of America today, and I'm like, that's us. We've forgotten what God has done for us. We've abandoned the Lord, and this is why there's urgency in me preaching this. Are we teaching the Bible? Are we teaching God? Are we teaching God-centered lives to our children? And and those of us who are parents and grandparents, and, and those of us who are following Jesus who are not parents, are we taking discipleship seriously? I mean, all these warnings, what are we going to do with them? Are we going to be just like the other people in history who closed our eyes, put our head in the sand, and went, well, or are we going to listen to the warning? Are we going to listen to the, to the, to the call And take this seriously. So you can see why I'm kind of jacked up about this because I just see all these warnings. So so what I wanna do from now, from the rest of today is to to take a stab at getting through the notes that you see there. And we're only gonna get through half of them because what I see Joseph and Mary doing, so we're back to Luke now, is they took seriously what I'm talking about right now. They didn't pass it off. They didn't say somebody else will raise them. They didn't say, well, you know, we'll just figure it out as we go. no. From day one, they took seriously, and what they took seriously was the the plan that God had laid out in the scriptures for how to raise your children. And so in your notes, if you've got your your outline, in your notes, that's the first seven points. Um, It's God's plan to parent and train Israel to live God-centered lives. Joseph and Mary are gonna follow it. And then, if you've got your notes, the bottom seven points are what I'm gonna do is toggle between the two and I'm gonna show you how to apply that to today. So it'll be a plan for today. So blue is God's plan. Bronze is a plan for today for anybody, any parent, any grandparent, any person who wants to take seriously some advice from the scripture about how to raise your kids. Now, I can't talk about everything, but I'm gonna give you the things that Joseph and Mary are doing so that you can train your children along God's scriptural plan. Now, let me, let me say a kind of a word of caveat about Luke 2. I'm teaching our staff to preach right now. And, uh, and I've, I've taught them when you're, when you're preaching and teaching the word of God, ask yourself, what's the author? So in this case, Luke, what's Luke trying to say? And I don't think that Luke is thinking, I want to unroll a parenting plan. I I don't think that's what Luke's doing. I think what Luke's doing is just showing us how devout Joseph and Mary were and that they were following God's plan. So, but what I'm doing is I am picking out the things that Joseph and Mary did and I'm organizing them and I'm showing to them to you as the plan that Joseph and Mary were following because I just think it's so powerful. And I don't, this is is not in a book anywhere. I've never seen this anywhere. And I'm, I'm like, wow. This is really helpful. Let's slow down and see the plan that Joseph and Mary were following. You with me? So I just just want you to know what we're going to be doing. I will walk through the text, but I think the point that Luke was trying to do was was just show us how devout, how serious Joseph and Mary were at following God's plan. So the first thing, that's why I kept talking about the law, the law, the law. It's, It's the first thing that God gave was scripture. Now, When I put the word scripture up there, that is including what we saw highlighted as the word law. Let me take 20 seconds and show you something. The scriptures, which is the Old Testament, right? If we're in Luke chapter two, we're just the beginning of the New Testament. There is no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There is no book of Acts. There's no Romans. They're living with the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament scriptures. And the Jews broke up their scriptures. Again, they wouldn't call it the Old Testament. They would just call it the scriptures. They broke it up into three sections. Here's the law that we kept reading about. It's called the Torah. Torah, it means teaching. It means instruction. It means law. But don't think law like a policeman. Think law like the teaching that, is a, that are commands, the teachings that are very important. So there are the first five books, the Pentateuch. That's the Torah. And then you have the rest of the Old Testament broken into the writings and the prophets. So all of our 39 books of the Old Testament are in these three sections, but they're in just different orders. So when you read the New Testament, you hear this phrase, the scriptures, or the law, the writings, and the prophets. That's what they're referring to. It's it's what we would call the Old Testament. And it's God's gift, first of all, the Torah. Then as Israel grew up, God gave them more scripture to train their kids with, and this is what Israel did. This is what every good Jew did. They used the word of God, the, the scriptures, to teach their children. As a matter of fact, do you did you know that that most Jewish fathers and mothers, by far, I mean, we're talking ninety percent. The history has shown us they would use the Torah to teach the alphabet to their kids when they were infants. They took this so seriously. They started. As soon as they could, and before the kid could even talk, they're teaching them the alphabet or the bet, if you want to think about it from a Hebrew standpoint. And so they're teaching them to read from the Torah. They're teaching them history from the Torah. They're teaching them math from the Torah. They're teaching the alphabet. They're, they're, they're using the Torah and then the rest of the writings to teach, to ground their kids in a, a biblical worldview, just saturating their kids with the scripture from infancy. And it's like, wow, they got this. And I think a lot of people today think that's crazy. They think that's extreme. But this is what God's talking about. If you want a God centered teenager, you can't start when they're 14 or when they're eight. Uh, Well, maybe you can, but it will be hard. Start young, even when they're infants. And you're like, Did did that really happen? Well, let me show you an example right from the Bible that that shows us that's true. So I'm jumping now from the the Gospel of Luke all the way towards the end of the New Testament. And that apostle Paul that I talked to is writing to a guy in Ephesus. His name is Timothy. It's actually a guy he's discipling. And he says to Timothy, these words, you know how from, there's a word, infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Wait a minute. How does Paul know that? Did Paul, was he like influential in Timothy's life when Timothy was a baby? Was he around? No, he wasn't. He he didn't even meet Timothy until Timothy was a teenager. So how did Paul know this? Here's how he knew it. Because Timothy was raised by a Jewish mother. And because Paul was raised by a Jewish mother and Jewish father, and because Timothy was raised by a Jewish mother, and because every other Jew that was raised by godly Jewish mothers and fathers taught their kids the alphabet, the scriptures, you know, all the things that God wanted them to learn from infancy, he knows this is how it goes. All of us, Jesus, Paul, uh, Timothy, any Jew, any person raised by a Jewish mother or father was taught this stuff. It's just just the way it was. Now, many people know that in in your Bibles, because you're a brilliant Bible scholar, you know that after verse 15 comes verse 16. See, these New Testament scholars, amazing. Jokes aside, what's verse 16? The famous verse, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. So Paul's talking about from the early days of, of Timothy's life, God's been using the scripture in your life. Your parents have been using the scripture, especially your mother. It's because it's God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So this scripture, and again, for Paul and Timothy, that's the Old Testament. That is the instructions given by God. First the Torah, then the writings and the prophets, all given by God to help people live a God-centered life. So let's go from blue to bronze So from the top of your notes to the bottom, the second seven, to apply this today. It's really simple, moms and dads. Read the Bible to your children. I know some of you are like, duh, but there's some of you that don't do that. And I'm not saying this is a law. I'm just saying, follow the advice of God and from a very young age, before they get infected by the culture around them, before someone gives them a phone, Before their worldview gets shaped by the world around them, you take responsibility as their parent of the child that God entrusted to you, and you begin to shape their heart and their mind towards God. And there's no better way to do this than to read to them. You're like, oh, man, that's going to be boring. Like the kids, "No, no, it's not. Make it fun. And slip in some books like this, the Jesus Storybook Bible. A lot of our staff are using this with their kids. They're loving it. It's great. And, you know, they've got little infants, and they're reading already. They're shaping the imagination of these kids. Again, this is what God called us to do because all Scripture is god breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Or we might say, training the child, nurturing the child to be a God-centered kid. Okay, so they're infants, they're toddlers. How about when they get older? Have the kids read to you. Use scripture and passages from the scripture and, and books about scripture or maybe movies. I mean, The Chosen right now, what an incredible parenting tool, discipling tool that's right in front of us. Saturate your kids with the word of God, Amen. Okay, now before we move on from there, see this word training here? It's a significant word. In the Greek, it's the word padeia, which 99% of the time in the New Testament it gets translated instead of training, the word discipline. So this word padeia, which can which does mean training, also means discipline. So in the Book of Hebrews, where God talks about training your children and disciplining your children. This is the word that gets used every single time. Let me show you some of those. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. The Lord trains, disciplines those he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. It's a father-daughter, father-son thing. Endure hardship as discipline. Now, Now, see, the problem here is that we only think of discipline as, you know, punishment. You know, so I'm, am I supposed to use the Bible to discipline my kids? Does that mean I turn the Bible into a paddle and paddle my kids? Oh my gosh. Heck no. That's not what I'm talking about. Discipline is much bigger. Think about, think about it this way. Think about the way an athlete disciplines his body, disciplines her body to be a better basketball player, volleyball player, run, track runner, you, you discipline yourself to be better that's the word and so in that big word includes instruction warnings rebukes maybe in some homes a paddle here and there but it's 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 a bigger picture in the old testament it's a it's a prophet being sent it's it's um it's exile happening all these things happen because god is treating you as his children and i know that no discipline seems pleasant at the time but Painful, but later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. here we go, for those who have been trained by it. So loving discipline is the second part of God's plan, along with the scripture, to shape, to nurture this God-centeredness in your child. So apply that to the bottom of your notes, to today, from blue to bronze. Loving and appropriate discipline is essential if you want to shape God-centeredness in your children. This idea of permissiveness just let them figure it out themselves. Let them do whatever they want. You're hurting your child. They need loving, appropriate discipline. we got to move on. Next phrase back in Luke, this language that I kept using about referring to the law There was three particular um, laws that Joseph and Mary were following. So it's not just some random law. I'm going to highlight them now. The first law is about purification. The second one is about consecration, which we said was dedication. And the third one thing is about sacrifice. So this is going to lead us to the third thing that God commanded and that God instituted, let me put these all together on one page so you can see these, these things about the law, the purification of the law, verse 22, 23, the, the dedication written in the law, and 24, this idea of sacrifice. What, is these, what are these things? These are customs. These are ceremonies. These are customs and ceremonies that God handed down to the children of Israel. When your child is seven days old, circumcise them. When your child is 40 days old, do the purification. When your child is 40 years old, present them to the Lord. Dedicate them to the Lord. These customs and these ceremonies help emphasize a God-centered life. So again, we're, we're trying to avoid, I go to synagogue on Saturday, and I live my life however I want, Monday through Sunday, or today. I go to church on Sunday, and then I do whatever I want, Monday through Saturday. No, God is integrated into all of life. And so these Customs, we talked about circumcision last week. Oh, you missed that. Good sermon. Uh, can I say that? Um, then then consecration, this purification and mikvah, baths they took real seriously. You know, following Sabbath, you know what bar mitzvah is. Bar means son, mitzvah means commands. So son of the commandments, this is when a, ch- and a boy was old enough to be able to obey the commands. They had a bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah for, for girls, daughter of, the, of, of commands. So, so these are just some, some of the customs that God handed down to the Jews to train their children to see that God is involved in every part of your life. Keep thinking about him. Customs and ceremonies. So we don't have to do these, but there are things we can do to create meaningful customs. We're in bronze now, bottom of the page, our plan, meaningful customs and ceremonies for our kids. So start with baby dedication. A lot of parents dedicate their children here. I love when you bring your kids to me and I get to pray over them. All of our pastors do. Baptism, it's a, it's a custom and a ceremony in scripture that we do with our kids. Bible memorization plan. <laughs> I, I put that up there because when I was a kid, I was raised in a church for a while that they took memorizing the Bible so seriously that they, they created these club's called the 49ers Club, and they they kind of made it all fun, and they talked about it from the platform, and and you got a patch. And when you memorize these 49 foundational scriptures, and I was like age eight, and I was like, I'm into that, man. Ceremonies, patches, you know, uh, parties, uh, um, meals, and I I want that. So I joined the, I memorized the 49 verses, and I was a part of the 49ers Club. So you can call it whatever you want, but it's It's a Bible memorization plan to get the custom to help get the scripture into the child. Um, I talked about bar mitzvahs and and bat mitzvah. Have you ever heard of a bar barakah? I bet you haven't. Maybe you have. Bar barakah is for Gentiles. So Jews practice bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. Bar- barakah. Barakah means blessing. So this means son, son of the blessing, child of the blessing. What this is, is some non-Jewish people, like most of us, me, I'm a Gentile, they saw that bar mitzvah in, in bat mitzvah in the Old Testament and they thought, can we do something like that in Gentile world? Can we have a party, a ceremony, make it a big deal and, and just go all out and celebrate when our son or daughter gets to a certain age, like age 12 or 13, and I knew a guy who used to go to this church, his name was Mark Thompson. Some of you remember Mark Thompson. He did one of these things for his son. And I thought it was so cool that he said, let's celebrate, let's party. My son is growing up and they blessed him. So he became the son of the blessing. What is that all about? Well, here's what it's about. Mark and many others, had read in the Bible all of these instances of the father especially, but sometimes the mother, but usually the father laying his hands on his children's head or laying his hands on their shoulder and saying a blessing over them. I don't mean once or twice. I mean all the time, every day. And it became such a powerful moment in between the father and the son and it was a father bequeathing on his kid blessing the presence of god god's god's providence working in their lives, and, it, and it's, it's something that just happens again and again in the Old Testament. If you're reading through our churchwide devotions right now, we're in, still in the, the book of Genesis, and we're in a section in Genesis where we're seeing Abraham bless Isaac, and Isaac blessed Jacob, and Jacob blessed his 12 sons, and this whole idea of blessing, it's all over the place, and it's going to be over the next couple of days if you're following our churchwide devotions. This emphasis on blessing, the Barakah. By the way, I went to camp when I was a kid, Camp Barakel. Some of you did. That's the camp of blessing. Um, so this barakah, this blessing. And once you begin to see this in the Old Testament, it's all over the place. And this is one of the customs. And you know, I'll, I'll stop right here and we'll do the rest of this next week. I'll stop right here. This is one of the customs that we can do that's meaningful. And I'm dead, I'm dead serious. Moms and dads, especially dads, but moms too. Would you ask God, Lord, where are some ways that I can bless my children? When they're infants, when they're toddlers, when they're adolescents, when they're teenagers, when they're adults, there's no age limit to blessing. Would you ask God to help you take this seriously? To look for opportunities to bless your children. Write out the blessing. Speak it over them. Do it at dinner. Do it at night before they go to bed. Do it in the morning when they wake up or make a, make a big ceremony of it. Do, it. do it all different kinds of ways, but, but bless your children because this is one of, out of the seven things that God gave to the nation of Israel, these customs, these ceremonies, these blessings, and they're so much more than words. They can, they can give life. To a discouraged child, they can help identity form in a child that's confused. These blessings, mom and dad, bless your children, grandma and grandpa, bless your children and your grandchildren. And if God gives you great grandchildren, bless them. Someone say, Amen. Will you take this seriously? And those of you who are discipling, you either don't have kids or your kids have grown up or, or whatever you are, bless. I just started another dig and we're starting this week and I'm gonna bless the three guys that are in that group. I'm gonna lay my hands on them throughout the, the time that we're together because there's power in blessing. And that's why God gave it as one part of his overall plan. I think that's something we can do. We don't have to be Jews to do that. We can pick that up and let God use that to bless our kids, amen? So, uh, I'm actually gonna, like I said, we'll, we'll finish this next week, but let me skip to the, the end and set up a closing by showing you probably the most famous blessing in the whole Bible. Some of you know where I'm about to go Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. This was the blessing that was given to the nation of Israel to bless people. There's lots of these. This is just one, but this is probably the most famous one. Lay your hands on someone, or you, you put your hand out like this, and you just take this seriously, or you just look them in the eye and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Isn't that Beautiful. Do that for your children. Do that for a friend. Do it to your wife, to your husband. Just bless each other. And I want to close the service in each one of our campuses by singing this song. So let me just have you close your eyes. Oh, God, there's so much power and beauty in these words. These words have power to give life. To a discouraged son or daughter, teenager, twenty-eight-year-old, person who's getting who needs to be discipled, blessing. So may we be people who bless one another. May we be people who practice the blessing of the Lord upon our sons and our daughters. Our friends, our spouses, our family. May your blessing rest upon this church, each of our campuses, each of our people, every person who's hearing my voice today, may your blessing be upon them. For we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.